Well, dear sisters and brothers in Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. So we need to back up and take a look at the Old Testament lesson because you need to have this beautiful image of what hospitality in the Middle East looks like. We have three visitors who've come to the tents and to the, it would have been literally a small village because Abraham and Sarah were a community. They had extended uh, workers and slaves and they had all kinds of people uh, a part of their community as they were living uh, out on the prairie, so to speak. They would have been more like Bedouins than an established village. So they had to move to make sure that there was food for their livestock. So they are nomads. But they welcomed the strangers in, and they would have had a vestibule over the men's tent, uh, and the women's tent would have been nearby, and there would have been a cooking tent where food was prepared. And I hope that you heard as Karen was reading the slowness of it. This is not McDonald's, right? This is not a drive up and get your food and leave kind of deal. This was slow. People were welcomed in, tea would have been prepared and served, there would have been this conversation as you hear Abraham, direct traffic, so to speak. But truthfully, everyone would have known their task. But it's gonna take some time, right? An animal has to be slaughtered and butchered and then prepared and cooked. Milk has to be cooked to make it into curds, that's the only way it works. This is gonna take some time. This is not gonna happen in a minute. And while there is waiting, there's conversation, people would have been brought and introduced. It would have been very relaxed. I've been privileged to experience what Bedouin hospitality looks like. I have sat in the vestibule in the men's tent. I've been served the tea. I was even offered Palestinian coffee which, by the way, one cup is good for about a week. It's half coffee and half sugar when you, <laughs> wow, I mean, when it comes on board, it's amazing. So, we have this hospitality. It's slow, it was comfortable. I've sat in Jewish homes in the Middle East, it, very familiar, very similar. I've had the privilege of sitting with Palestinian Lutherans in their homes. It's like this avalanche of family that have to be introduced to you while meals are prepared and shared. It's very comfortable, but in many ways it's very formal. So take that picture into this story of Jesus traveling with his disciples. They come into the village of Bethany. We know where Mary and Martha lived. We know that it's just outside of Jerusalem, about two miles away. And they come into this home, it had to be large, or she would not be able to welcome them in because Jesus is not traveling by himself, he has his disciples, and I suspect others beyond the 12. But there is room at the table, so to speak. And to understand this story, you have to understand that tables are not like ours where you sit in a chair and put your knees underneath the table. No, in the Middle East, in the first century, tables were very low and you sat reclining. You didn't actually sit down, you laid down. And normally, if you were a man, you sat with your left elbow up 
so that you could reach with your right onto the table and gather your food. And that's important because what happens in this story? This younger sister, Mary, comes and sits at Jesus' feet, which makes no sense at all if his feet were under the table, but that's why there's a point here. Now, I was paying attention as I read those words, and I was, I was actually creeping on some of you out here in the sanctuary, and nobody, no one gasped. No one was slightly outraged that Mary is depicted as seating at Jesus' feet, listening. That's important to hear. You see, women, after they became a young woman, didn't get educated anymore. We know that girls starting somewhere around six or seven would be taught by the rabbi, and there was some education that happened with her as she went from six or seven up to about 12. And then the rabbi would say to this young girl, go and find your mother and learn how to be a wife and a mother. And then somewhere around the age of 14, young girls would be married off and they would become a wife. But here is this one who is stepping out of the cultural norms, who is not behaving correctly. So again, hospitality is fairly formalized, but it's comfortable and relaxed. But she's making it uncomfortable and unrelaxed because of her behavior. And Martha, her older sister, has lots of responsibility, right? Here was that whole story that I laid out for you. She's got to get all that done. And I suspect she's not the only one working in the kitchen, but she is what? Beside herself. I love the Greek word. It means to be pulled apart by many distractions. She's anxious. She is beside herself. So she doesn't go to her sister. I love that part. Let's make a good triangle here. Let's get the teacher involved. So she breaks a cultural norm by going to the rabbi and asking him to do something for her. If you care about me at all is really the, really the overarching statement here from Martha to Jesus. Please go tell my sister to get off her rear end and get back in the kitchen. First of all, she's embarrassing me and she's making us look bad and Who's going to put the food on the table? And the answer that comes back is so gentle. Your sister has chosen the right thing. And not only am I not going to yell at her, I'm going to allow her to stay there. She has chosen the better part. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? We need to have both this story and last week's story of the Samaritan and now Mary if we want to understand, I think, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Because both things that we hear in these two stories that are adjacent to each other need to be heard. Luke loves to do this as he tells us about Jesus. He loves to put a story about a man next to a story about a woman. And that's what he's done here. Both of them are unlikely disciples. We have a Samaritan who is the black sheep. We have a woman who has stepped out of the cultural norms. But one is doing something and one is receiving something. 
one is abiding in the Word and one is living out the Word, following Jesus Christ in these two stories. We live in a day and age when anxiety runs rampant. We've had any number of people and any number of issues and deeds over these last 72 months that have produced all kinds of anxiety. It feels like the earth is moving underneath us regularly. It is so easy to be distracted, to lose our way. It happens regularly. And not only that, but anxiety is, it's, a, it's almost like a, well, it is like a virus in that it can be caught, it can be transmitted. It can be shared from one to another throughout a community so that the whole community becomes anxious. When I was in my fourth, fifth year at Pierce, South Dakota, I was, well, having the time of my life being the pastor there, the senior pastor there, and we had thought we had planned well the year before as Governor Janklow had taken his third, uh, third term. And we thought we had planned right for that year and we thought we had planned right for the second year and we were wrong in both cases. And so I've now been a pastor for about 17 years and in all that time, we had never not been able to pay our bills and to share our benevolence with the larger church. We'd never had that. But as we got toward the end of April, May, we could see that the money was just not coming in. And of course, being the oldest, I knew it was my fault that there was no one else that was responsible for this. And somehow I was doing something wrong and I had the worst summer of my entire adult life. Because every time I looked at the financials, they were darker and gloomier than the one before. And again, I was just beside myself as we cruised into the end of the summer and now we need to do the budget for the following year. And it's bleak, it's beyond bleak. And again, I knew that it was my fault, that I was somehow doing something wrong, either preaching or teaching or whatever. And then here in the mail came a request from Lutheran Social Service and they wanted us to raise $30,000 out of Lutheran Memorial for their capital campaign, which had been voted on and approved at the Senate Assembly. And I remember reading it and I got so angry that someone wanted to reach into my world and make light of the situation. And I remember with great joy throwing it into the trash. And then about 30 minutes later, I went and dug it out of the trash and read it again, got equally as angry on the second time and threw it in the trash one more time. Actually did it a third time. And then finally I went with that in hand to the council meeting that night. And the council meeting was brutal because we were having to slash salaries and programs and all kinds of stuff. And there was nothing fun about it at all. And then I realized that I was the source of all this anxiety in the room. I, in fact, had transmitted my anxiety to the entire church council. So with nothing else to do, I figured I couldn't make it worse. I threw this little flyer out onto the table. And the grumpiest, meanest guy on the church council picked it up and read it and he goes, I think we could do that. 
And I thought, what? Did, were you not in the same room? Where that, we, what? And then we had a person on the, on the council that was barely attached to the earth, uh, sort of floated around, and they picked it up, read it. Oh, I, I know we can do this. And then we had a judge on the church council, and he read it. And his response was, when I send children to Lutheran Social Service, they get better. So we vote to do it. We vote to table our budget meeting. We vote to enter into this process. And I stopped being anxious. And I started abiding back in the word. I learned some things. We rolled LSS into the campaign for our fall campaign. And when we wrapped up the year five months later, as we met in January, we had to figure out what we were going to do with the extra $50,000 that had come in. And instead of 30, we'd raise 47, which would finally become 56. I was distracted. I was pulled apart. I had forgotten what it meant to follow Jesus, that you need to abide in the word and to do the work. To follow Jesus means that we live in the word. We need to hear it daily, that our sins are forgiven, that life comes anew, that no matter what, no matter what, we are being held and cared for. On this Sunday, I hope that you hear in God's words that gift to you, that you hear that you are the people of God and that you follow him and live out your faith. Amen.